Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Markets. Yeah, <laughs> it is Bloomberg Markets. It is Friday. It's Friday before be uh, holiday nice. week. I thought you might want to do the tease here. Um, well, so, so really, really, really interesting story coming up. Uh, we're going to talk about this uh, fascinating this. documentary on Netflix yeah. about uh, sort of the story behind the story of the trial about the sex tape of Hulk Hogan and the, mm-hmm. the secret machinations behind it and what it means for the world of uh, the media and journalism. It uh, has a much big, broader uh, story, if you will, in terms of what's going on in reality. Let's get, though, to uh, your top business stories and a check on uh, the closing numbers on Wall Street. Here is Doug Kuzner once again. Put Gawker out of business, didn't it? Yes, Boy, right? Man, what a story that is. Uh, equity market mix on the final day of the second quarter. A light trading, as you might expect, in front of the 4th of July holiday. Dow was ahead by about three-tenths of 1%. You can credit Nike for leading consumer shares higher. Nike was up 11% today. That was after the company reported earnings above estimates. Revenue very strong, too. And on top of all of that, Nike announced a deal with Amazon.com to sell sneakers on Amazon's website. Over in the broader market, in addition to uh, consumer stocks, we had energy shares following the price of crude higher. Data from Baker Hughes showing the U.S. oil rig count declined for the first time last week since January. WTI in electronic trading right now up about 3%. We're trading 46.26 on active crude oil. S&P 500 uh, higher by just about two-tenths of 1%. We did see a pullback in some of the key tech stocks today. Among them, AMD down about uh, 1%. Also, weak Class A shares in Alphabet. And as a result, uh, NASDAQ composite was off about uh, one-tenth of 1%. Back up in bond yields, this is one of the key stories of the week, given uh, some of the hawkish rhetoric we've been hearing from many of the world's central bankers. U.S. 10-year Treasury last quoted in New York at a yield of 2.30%. Where gold is concerned, spot price 1241.48, so we're down about three-tenths of 1%. Let's get back to Carol and Corey. Got it. Doug Krisner, thank you so much. You are listening to Bloomberg. Hogan's $100 million lawsuit over a tape that was posted online by the website Gawker. Donald Trump, Peter Thiel, and other billionaires have been trying to undercut freedom of speech. He's the director of a documentary on Netflix called Nobody Speak, Trial of the Free Press. Really fascinating, uh, uh, Doc, and, and Brian, we're glad to have you on. Um, I, th- I thought it was, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, you know, it's a good documentary. It's, it's thrilling to, to, to watch. It's got all the elements you want. It's got celebrity. It's got sex. It's got money. It's, but it's got, it's got imports. But I thought that, um, very early on in the documentary, you, you sort of set the tone for, uh, the, what's going on with sort of attacks in the media. And, and I wonder if you sort of put the Hulk Hogan story into that context for us. Yeah, well, I, thank you, first of all, for having me on. Um, the I was really interested in the Hulk Hogan Gawker story just by itself. I thought, you know, it's the first time a sex tape case like this had ever gone to trial, and even though it seemed very tabloidy and kind of salacious, I thought there was some pretty big picture First Amendment versus privacy issues at stake. Um, but what made it different was, the, for me, is the, the staggering $140 million verdict. Uh, which was paired with the requirement by Gawker to put up $50 million right away, which was a death sentence to Gawker. 
Um, and then the revelation that Peter Thiel was behind it. So that that's when it became a very different kind of story for me, uh, you know, a story about uh, money uh, kind of being leveraged secretly against the press. And that was, um, you know, before Peter Thiel uh, became, uh, you know, spoke with the RNC, became, gave money to the Trump campaign, and, of course, became part of Trump's transition team. So um, that got us thinking about the role of sort of big money in the press as it relates to, um, you know, press freedoms and and uh, freedom of speech. We've often had wealthy individuals, though, behind press organizations. Um, yeah. So what's different? Well, that's true. Uh, lots of we, often wealthy individuals have bought newspapers. Also, by the way, litigation financing is not new. Um, you know, the groups like the ACLU come down on different sides of a case uh, for to make a political point. What I think is new here, two things. Um, mostly what I think is most egregious is the secretive aspect of it. When a Sheldon Adelson buys the Las Vegas Review Journal, nobody knows it's him. Uh, nobody knows it's Peter Thiel behind the uh, behind this. So that that is the part I think that's egregious. Um, also, just um, just inequality has has grown so much over the last few decades, and the press is in a in a kind of uh, vulnerable state because it's lost a lot of its revenue, uh, traditional revenue to, to uh, advertising revenue to the internet. So um, the, the context I thought was really interesting to you. You had Jay Rosen, my former professor and mentor from NYU, but uh, I thought Floyd Abramson in, had a really sort of notion, and, and I think it is uh, about the protective speech isn't the speech we want. It's it's not the speech. It's not the the, the standard we have uh, legally isn't what a responsible newspaper would publish or so on, but that it's sometimes the the most irresponsible things or the or the the things that push the boundaries uh, that maybe shouldn't have been done. But those are the, those are the things that define protected speech. Yeah, I really like um, Floyd Abrams. You know, sort of noted First Amendment attorney and, and his perspective in this. He says, you know, it's not that Gawker was worth saving. It's that we don't pick and choose these things uh, because that might uh, then enable the government to sort of put uh, imper- you know, restrictions on speech that ought to be impermissible. Um, you know, there's the classic line that uh, if you don't, you know, believe in speech you don't like, then freedom of speech for speech you don't like, then you don't believe in freedom of speech at all. You know what? There's such a bigger, broader um, trend going on, Brian. I think about, look at colleges and universities over the last few years pushing back when there's a controversial speaker. You may not agree with them, but I thought colleges and, and universities were going, were always supposed to be a place for open discussion, looking at things from different angles. You might not always agree with it, but maybe we all get richer, smarter, uh, by having <laughs> variety of thought. I think about then, you know, fast forward, Facebook, you know, they're monitoring your feeds. They see what kind of stories you want to read, and you get fed more stories of that ilk, you know. Yeah. And then again, we don't get diversity of thought. So something has become rather broken in how we approach things uh, and how things work. I think that's true. On colleges and universities, I mean, of course, the First Amendment protects all kinds of hate speech, and uh, that's part of the point of the First Amendment that it, you know, like we were just saying, it protects speech that, that is ugly to people. And so, but I think it's, you gotta be a little bit careful because, it, you know, the First Amendment also pre- protects the right to protest that hate speech, right? And, um, and so I think that, that dialogue is, is, uh, is kind of important pressure on both, both sides there. Um, Facebook is an interesting example because, you know, we are so partisan and, Facebook's been pretty um, pretty opaque about how the news feed works. They say it's uh, it basically it's um, dep- it, it's driven by engagement, um, which, as you say, tends to put 
news or, you know, stories in front of you that you already agree with. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, when you have, um, I guess it's 62% of adults saying they get their news from Facebook, that becomes pretty important. And just that algorithm, which we don't really know, which isn't transparent, uh, does, I, I think, does a lot to push us into these ideological corners. Uh, I think that's important. I think Facebook should, probably should uh, re um, uh, kind of reckon with that in a more serious right. way. Well, the documentary is called Nobody Speak, mm -hmm. Trials of the Free Press. It's on Netflix. It is watchable. It is fascinating. Good to have these discussions uh, right now, too. Yeah, and it's just it takes all these interesting turns. The story you might think you know, but you don't know it. So check it out. Brian Knappinger, uh, uh, Berger, thank you very much. We appreciate your time. You're listening to Bloomberg Markets and Bloomberg Radio. Let's get down to Auntie and take a look at some world and national news headlines. 499 Studios in Washington, D.C. Thanks, Corey. President Trump may spend his 4th of July weekend reading up ahead of his travels to Europe next Wednesday. Bloomberg's Eric Chapman has more on the president's upcoming trip. The president is heading for the periodic summit of the group of 20 economic powers in Hamburg, Germany. But he'll stop first in Warsaw to deliver a speech at the site of the Warsaw Uprising, crushed by the Nazis in 1944. He'll also speak to leaders of the Baltic and Central European countries who worry about the threat from their Russian neighbor. At the G20, he'll discuss the need to step up economic growth worldwide and fend off concerns about his rejection of the Paris Climate Accord. He'll also meet on the sidelines for the first time since he took office with President Putin of Russia after the Senate passed by 98 to 2, a bill to thwart any notion the president might have of lifting sanctions against Russia prematurely. Irv Champlin, Bloomberg Radio, Washington. President Trump tweeted earlier today, if Republican senators are unable to pass their Senate bill on health care, they should immediately repeal, then replace at a later date. White House Deputy Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders is asked if the president has changed his position. We're still fully committed uh, to pushing through with the Senate at this point, but we're, you know, looking at every possible option of repealing and replacing Obamacare. There are concerns about the budget in the House. 20 GOP moderates have signed a letter showing their opposition to an emerging plan to force cuts to government agencies and benefit programs like food stamps. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Nancy Lyons.